I think I turned this on the right way. Maybe I did not. All right. Uh, it's Sunday morning. And to all of those of you who helped out with the, um, the equip this last week, thank you so much for your servant-heartedness. Uh, thank you for... Uh, being uh, available, making the church available, and some of you who were not able to attend because you're part of this church, uh, you're in it, uh, in it to win it. And so, uh, thank you so much uh, to to everybody, to the team. I just want to say uh, greetings on behalf of uh, Tyron, uh, who leads the NCMI team. Wherever I go, I want people to know that uh, I'm not here of my own accord. Uh, yes, God called me and so forth, but uh, I'm on a team, and that team who partners together is called NCMI, and uh, so Tyron leads the team. Um, you, those of you that were here saw him on the video. You may have uh, remembered him visiting here quite a few times, uh, but he's, he's a, a young guy. I mean, well, he's younger than me and maybe older than a lot of you, uh, but uh, he leads a team of leaders um, could you imagine trying to lead uh, Dave or Mike, you know, or me, and then multiply that by about seven or eight hundred couples uh, that are on his team? It's a big job. So remember to pray for him and uh, Nicole as they lead the team. And then Mike and Deb and Andy and Camilla and the eldership team here, we, uh, we love you guys. And I want to ask the elders that are here uh, this morning, I know... Uh, Paul and Katie are on vacation. Whoever, whoever else is here, could you guys just stand up for a second? And uh, if you're part of Oceanside, I wonder if you'd extend your hands to me. Father, we, we bless these uh, couples in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that your spirit would fill them to a greater degree than they've ever known before. I pray that as you call them to do more than they can do on their own, that your spirit will sustain them and uphold them and fill them. I pray that you'd give them strategy and wisdom as they lead this church and as they lead the leadership team uh, that serves this church and as they are the points, not above, not below, but the point in front of saying, come follow me as I follow Christ. Father, I pray for their marriages. I pray that you would protect them, God, in Jesus' name. There's an onslaught of the enemy against marriages today and the marriages in this church that you'd watch over and guard and protect and, and give us wisdom in our parenting in a crazy generation uh, to turn our hearts, uh, our kids' hearts toward you, not just to create a bunch of rule followers, but people, little people who are passionate about the king and the kingdom. God bless them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, well done also, Oceanside. I'm so proud of you. We used to send uh, teams up to, uh, to help out with Love Your City. I mean, a long time ago, and you're still doing it and faithful. And it is a big deal for believers to represent Jesus in, in, a, in a world. So your job is not to represent yourself to the world. Your job is to uh, share the good news of Jesus and demonstrate his love and, and faithfulness. And the good news, the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news, and it's not a something that you can maybe take or not take. It, it's, it's a big deal. There's not 10 suggestions. There's 10 commandments, and Jesus' love language is, he says, if you love me, obey my commands, and we are called to reach the world, 
And so you're still doing that. What you're doing is not representing Oceanside because Oceanside is not it. You're not it. You're part of it. NCMI is not it. It's not the kingdom. We are part of it. But what we can do is we can hold up like a big mirror to the world and capture that beacon light of Jesus. As we receive Jesus, we can direct that to the world and shine brightly for him, representing him, not representing ourselves. So well done. Uh, thanks for, for continuing to do uh, love, love Your City. Uh, that's a great thing. A little bit about myself. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I have a wife, uh, Terry. She really, really was disappointed. Her mom's been in the hospital all this week, and she's been uh, there helping her out. We live in Houston. Uh, we had a church in Northern California for the last 21 years. We turned it over last year, and they're thriving, uh, and the church plants that we sent out of there are thriving, so we're so grateful uh, to God. Um, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. My uh, mom was a welfare mom. Uh, my dad had left before I was born. He didn't know that she was pregnant with me and my older two sisters. And, and uh, uh, my mother passed away when I was five years old, went around from foster home to foster home. And so those of you that are foster parents and adoptive parents, thank you so much. Uh, your, your labor is not in vain. We so appreciate you. And and I began to hear about Jesus. I began to hear the gospel. And as an eight-year-old, I came down the front of the church and gave my heart to Christ as much as an eight-year-old could understand. I, I gave my heart to Jesus, and he's been faithful ever since. I haven't always been faithful, but he has been faithful, and I'm so thankful. I love him more today than I ever have. I'm so thankful and so grateful uh, for who he is. And so that's how, uh, that's how I'm, I'm teaching. Uh, today and representing uh, uh, him today in my calling. So now I'm, uh, we're based, this is a great thing for all you grandparents out there, this is a great thing. Uh, we live right five minutes on either side of our two kids' families and seven grandkids. We're all in the same church uh, in Houston area. So that's, that's a bit of blessing. And plus, uh, we get out and travel. So I'm going to try to answer a question um, uh, I, I, just this morning, I added this. This is a pre-preach. This is a five-minute pre-preach. Um, but um, why do I, as a pastor, I wrote my thoughts down a few years ago when I was pastoring a church. Why do I relate to NCMI, or New Covenant Ministries International? And since then, we've changed the word. We found a better word, we think, uh, than relate is to partner with. Because you can be my relations. I have relations that I don't relate with. <laughs> If you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but when we're partners, we're arm in arm, we're linked together, we're working together, sweating together, uh, and doing this thing, uh, this kingdom thing together. But why do I, as a pastor, um, uh, partner with this team? So this church, if you're newer here, this church is not an NCMI church. There is no such thing as an NCMI church. There is a church, a local church, led by its eldership team. And by the way, all the husbands and wives of the eldership team, that's your senior leadership team here at uh, Oceanside. They're not above you. They're not below you. 
like we have a triangle here, and in a lot of churches, the, you know, the pastor, the se senior guy is the king of the castle, you know, the big kahuna, and, and uh, he's the one that is, uh, issues all the edicts from on high, and we don't see that in scripture, and then some churches are upside down where the people are at the top, and they tell everybody, the poor old pastor's trying to hold the church up like this. We don't see that in scripture either. Uh, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and that's kind of the churches we grew up in, and but we see the triangle on the side where we're moving forward. So nobody's above or below, but we, there are some. Paul said, come follow me as I follow Christ. He said, uh, the things you've seen and heard in me, teach these to faithful uh, brothers and sisters who were able to teach others. It's an ongoing su uh, a succession of, of leadership in, in the church. And so uh, we see that. So... Uh, Here's, here's what I see in the New Testament regarding translocal te uh, teams. Now, if you're a theologian in here, um, I'm going to try to use big theology words so it's difficult to understand about this. If you know me, I, you know I'm being facetious. So I'm a simple one-syllable word person. So here's what I see in the New Testament. I see these two guys get together and go to a town and minister. And this guy goes by, some, by himself to a city and gets people saved. And then some others come and help out. And these guys get sent together to help those guys reach a region. And then, then these business people move to a no location and start a meeting with believers in their home. And, and then this church helps this other church out financially, entrusting the funds to a guy who travels around a lot. Then this guy recruits and trains these guys, and then they go out and do it again. And these guys go and meet other guys and, and do the same sort of thing. And then they'll sort out some theology once in a while. I see the organic. I see the undefinable. I see the spontaneous. I do see them laying down their own agendas and working together in, in Ephesians 4, translocal, church-equipping, organic, God-ordained ministry to help other local churches. Do you get that? That's what I see in the New Testament about how ministry went about. So you have Ephesians 4, gifted ministries. So when I say that, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Uh, when we say that NCMI is a translocal uh, apostolic uh, Ephesians 4 gifted ministry team uh, with an apostolic and prophetic heart. Apostolic doesn't mean apostles. And some of you go, no, there's only 12 apostles. Just read your New Testament. There's about 20 or 30 listed in there. Uh, there are the original 12, and they have a special place in church history, of course. Uh, but apostles simply means sent one. And if you, that's, that's from the Greek. And if you translate it from the Latin, it's, it's, it's a missio, where we get mission. And missionary and apostle are ident identical words, just translated one from Greek and one from Latin. And, and, and it means sent ones. And so we are a, a community of believers that we are sent. And if you don't move to another nation, it, it, at least when you leave those doors, you're going out into the mission field uh, to represent Jesus in your sphere of influence. Uh, uh, apostolic... Adjective, apostolic, is a, is a going and sending culture. Prophetic means that we do not lean on our own strength. We hear the voice of God and we obey what he tells us. He'll, he'll give us a heads up from time to time and tell us where to head. And then we, that's seeing the future. And then we prepare for that. And then we come and see that happen. So... I see in the New Testament where the church in Corinthians was really, really messing up. 
And there was sin in the church, and there was division, and there was all kinds of arguing and immaturity. They, were, they had the Holy Spirit, that's for sure, but it was like a, a two-year-old with a shotgun. They're firing it all over the place, very dangerous uh, with this powerful thing in their immaturity. But Paul wrote them, 1 Corinthians, and he gave it to them. But you know what? He didn't say, we're going to take away your pastor. We're going to take away your building. We're going to bring somebody else in. And he said, no. He said, I appeal to you. He was a true apostle, and he, he didn't have any authority over the local church other than their relationship. And the only authority that NCMI has in this church is that invitation that this church, the eldership in particular, give to those outside authorities. So anything I say or Dave says, uh, says to you, the elders can get up. They're the highest human authority uh, in the local church. Jesus is the head of the church. That job is taken. Uh, but they're the human beings that God has called to lead and to govern uh, this church. And he's called all of us to serve. So uh, why I related to and why I relate now uh, and we call it partnership with NCMI, uh, is when I was a local pastor, it's because I see it in Scripture. I needed it. I need now that. I want it. My people need me to want it. Uh, is it easy? Not really. Is the distance and time and expense, the overstretched schedules all play into it. But I am still committed to this team. I'm on Tyrant's team. I believe that God has joined me to the team at large and especially to the guys I personally know on the team to invite into my church or reference on issues. I just really need, and you need too, outside input from experienced and anointed men and women of God who have gone on before us for accountability, for input, for teaching, for peer fellowship, for relationship, and impartation of a wider gifts than we see in the local church. So, some thoughts specifically, stretching into a seven-minute preach. My thoughts specifically about NCMI is NCMI is not biblical. NCMI is not unbiblical. It just is. But we see the pattern in Scripture of gifted men and women going out to help churches all around the world. Jesus never said, thou shalt build a NCMI team, but he did say, disciple the nations, and he did say, I will build my church. So having connections, organic, ever-changing connections is how the early church did it. So we, too, are simply to die to self, take up his cross, and obey what he tells us to do. And yes, I do believe in keeping things simple. So so my being on team does not validate my ministry. My local church validates my ministry. Uh, the fruit of my labor validates my ministry. God validates our ministry. Each one of us, that's true for us. So NCMI is just a group of guys who have or are called to lead a local church uh, more often than not and help lead other guys do the same. Then to connect and partner with other translocal guys who do the same. So why do we have a... A translocal team because it's a good idea. It's practical. And because God can join together like minded men and women to pool resources, to pool uh, equips and teachings and uh, uh, strategies and finances from time to time and training times and publications to worship together, to dial dialogue together, iron sharpens iron, and to bounce ideas off of each other and to encourage one another and to team up from time to time. Because it can facilitate a relational network among local elders and people from various churches. Because when working with Caesar, where we do, 
A larger group of people working together can often help get through the red tape because the largeness has the perception of legitimacy. Even in governmental, bringing people over from other nations and traveling around the world, uh, oh, the world understands this, denomination. We understand team and partnership in the gospel. So we give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Sometimes we'll say, my wife's an attorney, and bringing people in, she goes, the denomination of NCMI, and people go, oh, we're not a denomination, but that's how Caesar hears it. You know, and so we can relate together in our largeness, we can relate there. So those are a couple ideas why I relate to and partner with uh, New Covenant Ministries International, and hope that helped some of you out. So no charge for that. Um, so I'm going to talk today about faithfulness and faithfulness being entrusted to the faithful. And so, um, Lord, help us to, to get through this and to hear your heart on the issue. Um, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is, that if, if, running, if running with foot soldiers has worn you out, how will you run with the horses? <laughs> Sometimes we go, oh my gosh, this is all I can do. I'm so tired. I've been doing this so long. And I just, just another word for the olders among you. And you can decide who you are. God's not done with you yet. He still has work for you to do. Don't quit. Please don't quit. Please be an example, but also make it easy for those coming behind you to lead you. Sometimes when you get older, some of you young people don't really understand, but the first time a cop gives you a ticket and he's younger than you, it's like... You know, you whippersnapper, you, and, and, or your doctor is younger than you, and you go, did you go to school? Did you go, <laughs> did you go to college? So sometimes um, the olders among us, when we have leaders rising up in the church, and we're cheering them on, we want them to, uh, make it easy for them to lead. So that's just a word for the olders and the youngers. Uh, Paul told this to young men in Titus. He just said, he said a bunch of things to old men, old women, younger women, and then he said only one thing to young men. Control yourself. All right, so that's it. I tell you, that's what I tell you what Paul said. So, number one today, and you can laugh. Uh, uh, it's okay. It's okay to laugh and to enjoy God. Uh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I've lived five years of my life in Canada, and my dad's Canadian and my son's Canadian, but I'm not. Skipped a generation, so they wouldn't, wouldn't allow me to... No, I'm just kidding. So, but my dad is and my son is Canadian. So, number one here, God does not forget his promises. Wow. What has God promised you? You know God promised you. So, um, backing up a little bit with the children of Israel and um, in, in the 12 tribes. No, I'll go back a little bit further. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And it was perfect, and they sinned, and God kicked them out. So they had Cain and Abel, and Cain killed his brother Abel, and then they had Seth, and there, there was this whole long uh, couple thousand years of people living to be 900 years old, and finally Noah comes along, and God says the world is very uh, sinful, and so I'm going to destroy it with a flood, and God kept his promises, saved uh, Noah and his family and the ark, and then they kind of re restarted again, and then Noah uh, lived for another few hundred years. See, actually, he lived almost until Abraham was born. Did you know that? It was very, very tight in there. And um, 
So then uh, Abraham was born and he had Isaac and, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. That's the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they got taken into slavery through a series of miracles into Egypt. After 400 years, the, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not uh, Jacob. And, and so they uh, were made slaves and it was harsh and God, the people cried out. And God said uh, to Moses, go and announce to Pharaoh, set my people free. So a bunch of uh, plagues came on Egypt and they went out and crossed the Red Sea, miracles into the promised land. And then God took Moses up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and the people rebelled and they turned their heart on God and boom, it was a big deal. And then they sent out the spies to, to the new uh, land and they didn't believe. Uh, two spies, uh, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a good report. Everybody else was condemned to do a 12-day journey to spend 40 years in the wilderness. So they wandered around till a new generation, a Joshua generation rose up, they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, took the land little by little. It's just like when you get saved, you, you, don't, you don't become perfect overnight. You're, you are saved, but now you are being saved. You're taking the land little by little. It's a, everyone, every step is a battle uh, to become closer to Jesus and more like Jesus. And then, and then they lived there and there's a period of judges uh, in Israel and they got, all had their land, all the, the, all the tribes had their land. And, and then they cried out for a king. God said, I'm your king. They go, no, we want another kind of king. So they had Saul. He started out well, bombed out. Then David arose, a man after God's own heart. And then uh, Solomon came along, rebuilt the temple. And then they had a whole period where there was mostly bad kings who kept the high places. And there was a few good kings that the kingdom split apart. And then finally the Assyrians were, uh, came in and took Israel, the, the part of Israel, and uh, took, spread them around the whole earth. And then a few years later, then Babylon came in and took uh, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin to Babylon for 70 years. And God promised you will be here only 70 years. So I guess I went a little more back than I should have, but that's the history up to where we are. This is the end of the New Testament now. The last two uh, things that happened in the New Testament is Ezra came out of Babylon and rebuilt the temple, and Nehemiah came out of Babylon and rebuilt the wall. And then you have 400 years of silence till Jesus comes. So Ezra's job was to rebuild the temple. So let's, they've been there. God told uh, Israel that uh, they would only be in Babylon 70 years and then they were released. King Cyrus, God uses evil people, wicked people to do his will from time to time. So the Bible says that the king's heart is like uh, streams of water. God can direct it wherever he wants uh, because he's sovereign. So in Ezra chapter 3, after they completed the foundation, they have a big celebration. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple has been laid. 
They celebrated. They worked, 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 worked. It was dangerous. They had this whole, you know, about maybe big as this building for the temple and then the temple grounds, way more than that. And it was an amazing thing to rebuild all that. And just, just the, the flat stones that, you know, like, like when, when this building was built, there's probably a big slab of cement out here, a big foundation there rejoicing and celebrating. And this is a picture of a lot of us and a lot of churches. So I want to get into this a little bit more. I'm going to show you a chart. I'm very scientific and I made up this difficult to understand chart called the kingdom effectiveness chart. And so we start out with the kingdom effectiveness chart and over across the bottom is faithfulness. That means to stay faithful, remain faithful. And the impact that you want to have, that's the upward movement there. And I want to say this to you, the more you want to count for Jesus, the more it's going to cost you. The more you want to serve Jesus and represent him well, the more you have to die to yourself like John the baptizer said, I must decrease so that he can increase. So if you study personalities and, and Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and Strength Finders, all those things, if you study those things, you don't want to become a better whatever they say you are. You want to become less of that and let Jesus be more in you. And so that's the cost that it's going to, if you want to have impact, it's going to cost you. So you go along this long line of just walking in integrity. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like much changes and people don't notice you and you're walking in as an unknown entity and, and, and then finally you make a turn where you kind of gain some respect and what we call credibility. And then you begin to make a turn up where you have visibility. I want to tell you that God wants to make your calling and your gifting visible. Not in this world, but in the kingdom. Some of you will be visible in this world, and some of you, God has called you to be faithful and be visible. In, in, if heaven had a newspaper, you know, you'd be on the headlines, but this world hardly notices you because you're doing what God called you to do. Maybe some of you quietly behind the scenes or unnoticed by, by this world, but God wants you, you to have visibility in this world and in his kingdom. And so this, this is what I call the kingdom effectiveness chart, but it always begins with a long walk of integrity. Some of you get saved and want to count for Jesus and go out and do stuff. You know, you're not there yet, really, honestly. Stay discipled, stay close, stay uh, tucked in, learn the word of God. You can serve him while you're there, of course you do, and live a life of integrity, and that's doing what God would want you to do when nobody else is around. So that's the kingdom of effectiveness chart. So here's a question for you. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? There's all kinds of dreams here. I know some of you are dreaming right now that you'd love to sit at your workplace during lunch hour and have a little Bible study with some of your, your co-workers and maybe lead some of them to the Lord. Some of you are dreaming about laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Some of you are dreaming of raising a godly family that will represent and reflect Jesus to the world. Some of you are dreaming possibly of a business endeavor or, or planting a church somewhere. Somehow, someway, God has put a deposit in you and you're dreaming about that. I want to say big dream, big dreams, but, but make sure they're God's dreams. Make sure they're not 
just something that's uh, presumptuous, but something that God called you to do, something that is according to his word. If it's a big, de- uh, big deal with lots of finances, bounce it off some of your leaders, trusted friends, who will be able to give you counsel. So, the second point we have here is what we do, we do for the Lord. So remember what you do while you are doing it, you are his servant first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So sure, things things are going to get opposed. The work of God in Israel when they were rebuilding the temple, it was opposed. Um, But here the temple stops with just the foundation for 18 years. They stopped. You know why? Because they went back to their farms and their vineyards. They went back to build their own houses. They went back to raise their families and get on with life. So God's, uh, he's a little bit upset there. I'll tell you what, if you, if you lay a foundation in your life, nobody really cares. You can't see a foundation. I mean, you can see the work there, but anybody who's ever built a building knows that once that foundation is done, it's half done. But that's when you start building on that foundation. Some, sometimes uh, after 18 years, the, the Lord uh, says, uh, Israel, listen up here. So Ezra prophesies about this. At, at that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, promised, uh, prophesied to the Jews of, in Jerusalem and uh, Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God uh, in Jerusalem. So they went back to rebuilding the temple. So the people in the area didn't like it. The people who, see, for 70 years the children of Israel were gone and these guys kind of became little petty despots in the area and they thought they were in control and so forth. So God's people moved back in and say, no, actually we're doing what God called us to do. So these guys kind of tattletailed uh, to King Darius. That's what I call them, tattletales. You know what a tattletale is. So the Bible doesn't say they said it this way, but I'm going to read it this way, if you don't mind. To King Darius, greetings. The king should know that we went to the construction site of the temple of the great God in the province of Judah. It is being rebuilt and specially prepared with specially prepared stones and timber being laid in its walls. The work is going forward with great energy and success. We asked the leaders, who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? Isn't it more fun to read it this way? All right. Who gave you permission? And we, we demanded their names so we could tell you who the leaders were. And their answer was, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built here many years ago by a great king of Israel. That's the right answer. We don't have to answer to you. We are servants of the most high God. Who are you serving? And people say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I'm a servant of the Most High King. Now, once again, I'm not talking about presumption or impetuousness. 
impetuousness. You're servants of the Most High King. The dream that you're working on, whose dream is being accomplished? We spend a lot of time on things that are good, not bad. But we don't have time to do every good thing. We only have time to do the best things. So point number three here, our priorities may not be his priorities. And the question we have here, are we spending our time, energy, resources on things that God has not called us to do? I'm telling you, if you're worn out, just hear me out on this one, just give it some thought. If you are worn out and weary, you might be doing stuff that God hasn't called you to do. Paul says, be not weary in well-doing. That's a command, not a suggestion. Don't get weary. You, you pace yourself. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is a yoke. Yes, it's a yoke, but it's easy. And my burden, yes, it's a burden, is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you're, what you're doing is not easy and light, yes, we get physically tired. I'm not saying, you know, sometimes there's seasons where we get tired. But I'm talking about ongoing your whole life. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, Jesus didn't give it to you. Sometimes that takes... Big people to say, all right, I'm going to start doing what Jesus did. I'm going to get in the middle of the stream. Have you ever been river rafting? Don't go on the edges. That's where the rocks are and the snags and the tree trunks. In the middle, we just get to flow. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So back to the original call. This is when they first got the call. Haggai 1, uh, 1, on August 29th, the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? That's the original call. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You, are, you eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when when you brought your harvest home, it, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. Have you ever felt like you're living life trying to go up a down escalator? 
Ask God, am I doing and spending my time, energy, and resources on things which you have not called me to do? This is a, this is a serious question. This is a big question. It's a big deal. God wants us to finish what he started in us. And he told the children of Israel, why are you doing this? But it applies to us as well. The fourth point here. We're never going to get it done on our own. Never. Requires the Holy Spirit. It's not just a formula. Uh, Not just good things. Not just effort and strategies and those kind of things. I say that doing what God has called us to do requires radical obedience and dependence on the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do what God's called you to do without radical obedience and depending on the Holy Spirit. If you can do it in your own strength, it's not what God called you to do. Because what he calls us to do requires him. So uh, Haggai chapter 1 again. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. What God's called Oceanside to do requires the whole remnant of God's people to build upon this house. They began rebuilding the house of God, the Lord of heaven's armies. And in Zechariah chapter 4, a parallel passage right at the same time. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I like this story. I like the parallel it has for each one of us. So I got a couple questions for you. One is, is Oceanside Church going to finish what they started? Now I know that in our culture things have happened the last couple years that we didn't really have control over. Actually, what's happened in the last couple of years is unprecedented in human history. There have been many plagues that have gone throughout the world over thousands of years, and many much more devastating and deadly than the plague we just went through. But never has the world shut down economically. Never have borders been shut down. This is unprecedented in human history, and I think it's all pointing to where we are, the beginnings of the birth pangs of the end times. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the season. It's really weird right now. It really is. But here's the question. In the middle of that, is Oceanside Church going to finish what they started Or is Oceanside content with the house of God being just a slab? I'm not talking physically. I'm talking what God's called us to do. And I'm also speaking to a church that has done many commendable things. It's not like you're doing bad. uh, bad. I'm I'm just saying what I feel God's saying to the church. You're not done yet. And are you content on an unfinished building, the, the building of the house of God here. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about building this local church. 
The church is not a building, it's the people here. You, this is Oceanside Church. And then I have another question for you as individuals. Are you going to finish what God started in you? What God has called you to do? Are you? Or are you content with just living on a slab? Yay, we have a slab here. Can support a huge temple, but I'll just pitch my little pup tent over here and enjoy living on the slab. How can we do this? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We can do it by the presence of God in our midst, being radically obedient. My friend Dudley Daniel wrote a book, uh, Building on Apostolic Foundations, and in there there's this, I love this paragraph. What is possibly most needed is the presence of God in the midst of his people. Even if everything else that was lost or stolen were already restored, we would still only be heading for another marsh if we did not have the presence of God. Without the presence of God, we have no power, no authority, no transformation, and no glory to display to the nations. Without the presence of God in our midst, we come in here either a good or a bad worship set. We come in here either a good or a bad sermon, but there's no change taking place in us without the presence of God doing the work that requires, is required for any kind of eternal fruit there. Once again, we have this chart, kingdom effectiveness. Moses said this, we don't want to take one step unless you go before us. In your journey, maybe you've just become a believer. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're just exploring the Christian faith. I want to tell you that Jesus is here this morning. The gospel, the good news is simple. Just like the Apostle Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, he was going to go persecute those Christians, and God struck him down to the ground. He was instantly blind, blinded. There was a voice like thunder. Everybody else couldn't figure out what's going on. And Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these, the sect called the, the way or the, the Christians. And, and Jesus Jesus said, no, you're persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? This is my body. And in that one instant, Paul, who lived his life following all the rules, he lived his life with nobody with more zeal than him, following everything, doing everything by the book. Uh, it's all about the temple. It's about, all about, he, he, he loved God as far as what he knew. But in that one instant, he knew that all that work and all that effort meant absolutely nothing in the light of eternity. And he was utterly without hope of any, any salvation except for the mercy of God falling on him. And every believer has to come to that point. Nothing I can do will earn me one moment in heaven. It's what Jesus did on the cross, just like the, the prophecies foretold. He lived a sinless life and died, and he rose again, and he's coming back. The Bible foretold it all, and it happened, and he's coming back for us someday. I encourage you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, right where you're seated right now, say, yes, I believe that. I receive you, Jesus, right now. What that guy up there said, I believe that, and I want to follow you with my whole heart. Please forgive my sin. And if you just did that, just right now, come up and tell one of the leaders, we're going to have a, a, a couple more songs at the end here in just a moment, and come and tell somebody, I said yes to Jesus, and I meant it. I said yes to Jesus, and I meant it. And if you're a newer believer, God has a call on your life. But we get, 
to the point where I don't think anybody wakes up, I don't think any believer ever wakes up and, and, and says, today I'm going to abandon the work of the temple. I'm going to abandon God's call on my life. We don't do that, but just life gets in the way. Oh, we'll get back to it. You know, I got I to gotta plant these vineyards or, you know, in poor condition. I got to finish my house and rebuild my barn. And maybe next year, maybe next year I'll get in, in, involved again. I got to harvest those crops, the Israelites said. You know, I got kids uh, in college and I got, a, I got a new job. You know, vacation's coming up. I got a birthday. You know, we just, we get so busy. Once I get caught up on things, I'll come back to it. And then after 18 years, the, the weeds start coming through the cracks in the foundation. And there's no building being built. You know, Dave Kraft wrote a book called Leaders Who Last. You don't have to read the book, just read that. I want to last. I want to finish my race just like Paul did. But he says this, 30% of Christians finish what they start. I'll say it again. It's not a good statistic. 30% of Christians finish what they start. So the consequences of that are when we refuse to pay attention to God and, and, and putting him first and getting our priorities in order and, and so forth. Like I said, I've, met to, I've yet to meet a follower of Christ who deliberately set out to ignore God. We don't do it. It just happens. We drift away slowly. Kids who are a blessing should not take away your call of God. They should add to it. Kids are a blessing. I, I don't want to touch on anybody's toes, but those oboe lessons are not that important. You know, I can say, insert any number of things there. Oh. You don't know how mad the coach gets when my kid doesn't show up for oboe lessons. I could never do that. But we sacrifice our kids, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in a healthy community where they, their hearts are captured by God, not, not their actions. If their hearts are ca captured, the actions will follow. We want to point people to Jesus. But the jobs, the transfers, the demands, the stress, the struggle just gets, gets in your way. So I could ask you this question. Is this the life that Jesus died for? Did he die for the life that you're living? Or did he die for the life that he dreams for you, where he's first? Where are we on this faithfulness chart? I think, I think Westside is right around in the bend, right around the Y in credibility. That's my scientific assessment. I think you've lived a life of integrity. And way back when, in the early days, when it was Mike and Deb and kids in their living room, and then the ups and downs and struggles of a, Getting a church moving, it's like you're trying to push a locomotive. When it's still, it's really difficult. I've, I've heard some strong men can actually push a locomotive, but it takes a lot of work. But this train is going. This train is barreling down the tracks. And this train, this is all metaphorical, so, or uh, just an analogy, but this train, if 
you guys all stop serving Jesus, started doing your own thing, this train will still go down the track. And 15, 20, 25 years from now, you'll find that you have slowed down and slipped into irrelevance and mediocrity and not accomplishing the call of God on your life. You've done a lot of work. We've got to keep going. We're not going to stop. And it's, it's the work that Jesus is calling us to do. Amen? So, where are you personally on that line? Are you still dealing with integrity issues? Deal with them. Repent from them. Confess them to a friend and be accountable and move on. And keep growing. Keep, keep serving Jesus. Keep simplifying your life. I am amazed how people in this culture try to squeeze Jesus into an already overcrowded life. You ever had a good banana cream pie or a good chocolate cream pie? And you go to a restaurant and sometimes they'll cut big slices, like six slices to a pie, which are way too big, but then they put it in a box for you and you go, you know, wait a minute, can I, we want a seventh piece. Can you just squeeze those over and put in a... No, that would destroy... We try to squeeze Jesus into our life that's already full. And Jesus needs to be the center of everything. And out of Jesus being first, we become great husbands and wives and, and parents and, and workers in the marketplace and, and, and na- good neighbors and, and servants in the house of, uh, house of the Lord. Out of that, out of Jesus being the center focus. We try to squeeze Jesus into an already too busy and overcrowded life. Where are you? Where are you on the chart there? That life of integrity, nobody really notices, and then all of a sudden, you kind of get it some momentum, and you get some credibility, and then, and then you start to, and I'll tell you what, that line can be expedited by saying yes, Lord, every time he speaks to you. If you want to go on the fast track, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you want to go on the fast track, say yes, Lord. There's an old song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I say this, that success in the kingdom is a succession of yeses to the king. Every day. Not the big decisions, the everyday decisions. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, I'll go talk to that person. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll tell that person in the, in the grocery line that Jesus loves them. What? I'll tell you what, only three voices would tell you that. The devils, and he would never tell you to go... Encourage somebody. You, your voice, you would never tell you to go to talk to somebody. Or it could be the Lord. Trust the Lord. And as you go over there and they start crying and, 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 and say, thank you so much. And I appreciate that. And I'm a Christian, but I just have had a hard day. If, if you start responding to those whispers, you go, no, I get back saying that's not, that's not God. You know, of course it's God. Nobody, it's always the right time to encourage somebody. It's always the right time to be a messenger of light, you know? So live that life of integrity, and you'll see the visibility. You'll see the fruit. So Paul says, the things you've seen and heard in me, entrust these to faithful. 
Yes, we need to be called. Yes, we have to have character. Yes, all those things. But Paul said faithful here. Faithfulness is entrusted to the faithful. Remain faithful. And you'll see the fruit that God has promised. So, in just a moment, the worship team, as they are making their way, I didn't have a signal for them. I think Dave just yelled out, or, or Kenny yelled out or something, Rah! like this. So that was funny. Um, I believe that God has spoken to us this morning. Each, each of you is an individual. And collectively, as Oceanside Church, he's spoken to us as a church. But for you as an individual, what has God t- called you to do? He's spoken something to you already. I want to encourage you. God gave me a picture once. It's like you go, you go hear a preach. And, and, you know, the elders, whatever, you know, there's other churches represented here today. But you go, wow, that was a good preach. This is a good, solid stone you know, this is truth. And you go home and you have lunch. I'm very sad, by the way, that uh, Swiss Chalet has failed in Canada. That was one of my, as a teenager, that was my favorite restaurant. So anyway, now you're getting hungry. So you have a brick of truth or a stone and you go home and you have lunch and you toss it over your shoulder in the backyard and pretty soon you got a whole pile of bricks a whole pile of truths, but you've never built them into a wall or a building. Use everything God is is talking to you today. Don't just let it go by the wayside. Use it to build up what God's building in your life, in your family's life, and in the life of this church and his kingdom. Amen. Let's stand together as we start singing.
We don't have to wait till the end. I want to encourage you, if you've made, if you've done business with God and there's something he's calling you to do or to stop doing or to begin doing, just come up to the front. And, and just There's something about those 20 steps to get up here that just seals it. And come up and we would like to pray for you. And if you've made a decision, I encourage you to respond what God has uh, told you or spoken to you or imparted to you today. I just felt um, the Lord gave me the word declutter. And I know for myself, uh, sometimes we call it a spring clean. Sometimes I know with my own home, I, I keep adding things and adding things and adding things. And sometimes my home gets so crowded. I mean, some of it's junk maybe. But I feel like the Lord's saying to declutter. It's a seminal moment for many of us here that our lives have become too complicated, too overcrowded. And it's a time to like a spring cleaner or a declutter to just come back to what God's called us to, come back um, to the essence, uh, 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 you know, to seek His kingdom first and to just, uh, even to just respond today and say, Lord, I declutter. I'm going to come back to what you've called me to and I'm going to get rid of all this excess or junk or whatever it is that's become, that's overcrowding my life. Um, so just responding to Steve's message, I just got the word declutter including myself today, to declutter, just come back to those, you know, foundations and then to build upon them.
over the church. I pray that, Lord, that thing when you say, no, I'm going to do this, and then the accuser comes. What about this? And as we've just heard, God has placed those words and those things we've done in the sea of forgetfulness. Do you know when he says, I forgive you and I remember your sins no more? And often I can say that, God, I'm so sorry, and two days I'm still saying the same thing. And I have this picture of God saying, what are you talking about? I've forgiven it. Because I really believe the, the ball and chain of many churches is condemnation. The accuser of the brethren, man. Holy Spirit, I pray that you break that. The reason we need you, the reason you came was because you knew we needed you. And only you could do what you could do, Lord Jesus. And it is finished. So in the mighty name of Jesus, when we take that step to speak to somebody, that we will hear your voice, Lord not the voice of the accuser. He is a defeated foe and Jesus is the King of glory. Church, can we give the Lord a praise offering and just say, yeah, worthy, worthy.